You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Emily Ballou and Samantha Marisendejas and this is Young Scrappy and Hungry. Hello everyone, welcome back. Welcome. Today we have a very exciting bonus episode for you all uh, because we know so many fascinating young people in the theater world. We decided to give you this bonus episode so I'm very pleased to introduce you to my friend Kahari Blue. He is a producer, critic, and singer from New Haven, Connecticut. He has a bachelor's degree in theater with minors in education studies and black studies from Middlebury College in Vermont. He's worked with the New York theater companies such as Theater for a New Audience and PTP NYC, as well as co-hosts a theater and culture podcast called Talk Back. Welcome to Young Scrappy and Hungry, Kahari. Welcome. Thanks, and yeah, this is super exciting. Really happy to be here. I hope I qualify as young, scrappy, and hungry. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've been mostly just young and hungry, and have been lacking the scrappy piece. Like I need to really get my hands dirtier in the work. So that's what I'm looking forward to in the next few years. But super happy to be here on the podcast. So thanks, M, for inviting me. Awesome. Yeah. Um. As I just mentioned, Kahari did go to Middlebury, so that is where our connection sort of sparked. Um, but let's jump right into this interview. Um, there's a lot of cool stories for you to tell us and, and some of your, your takes on theater in general. So let's jump in. The first question I have for you is going way back to the beginning. What initially sparked your interest in the arts and in theater? Yeah, so that's like a crazy question. I have... <laughs> I could talk about that for the whole, you know, hour I'm spending with you guys. But my my love for the arts, I think, came really early, just in how I spent my time naturally. So I was always really big on consuming, um, like, different pieces of art and media. So, like, loved, like, TV and movies growing up. Like, my mom would tell me, I was like, when I was a baby, apparently, when Barney wasn't on the TV and there was a TV in the room, I would cry because I just <laughs> needed... Barney to be on the screen. So, you know, I think I was particularly captivated by music really early and started singing like in the middle of elementary school in like church groups and choirs at school. So singing was definitely kind of my entrance into theater um, and in musical theater. Uh, so there's this iconic story of me in, the, in seventh grade breaking my arm at basketball tryouts, which um, really quickly ended my basketball career. Um, because, you know, before seventh grade, all of my extracurricular activities kind of besides singing were in sports. So I played basketball and football every year and honestly really loved it. Um, but then in seventh grade, I was like, all right, I'm not going to play basketball. What should I do this winter? Um, and my school was doing Beauty and the Beast, Junior, the musical. And always the junior I, version. <laughs> always the junior version. Um, even though like Beauty and the Beast is junior enough, like I don't even remember what they, <laughs> what they cut from the piece. But I auditioned on a whim because I wanted to keep myself busy. And I was cast as Lumiere, 
the the candelabra <laughs> oh, and yes. did, did the show with a really awful French accent. I sounded more Jamaican than French. <laughs> and um, but again, for me, it was like really just an opportunity to, to sing. And um, in that, I ended up really falling in love with the theater and became like obsessed with it, as I think a lot of us do kind of in that middle school time. I mm-hmm. became like just a real autodidact, especially when it comes to musical theater at the time, which was really my my jam. And um, and I feel like one of the things that we really connected on in college were was being like these musical theater lovers and like people with these like encyclopedic knowledge on like musical theater history mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um that definitely all started <laughs> in middle school and then you know through middle school and high school I I kept doing the the musicals every year and basketball was a thing of the past <laughs> as it should be yeah. <laughs> it's a real life Troy Bolton if you will we oh, love yeah. a, a good high school musical <laughs> reference <laughs> Except that Troy continued with basketball and I just completely neglected it and said, I'm, you know, Broadway or bust. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. And since then, what has sort of led you to moving away from the more performing side into more of a theater critique role? And did you always really see yourself doing this? So I, I think I realized in the middle of college that I wasn't very passionate about acting, nor was I a very talented actor. And I think I had been riding off of just my presence as a human being and also my singing voice. And that's really why I was continuing to, you know, be put on in all these musicals. Um, and I don't know, the, the work itself of acting wasn't that exciting to me. So I knew that it um, that I just needed to be spending my time elsewhere. Uh, you know, like in college, there's so many ways to be involved in school and I was really thinking about how I wanted to prioritize my time and I was like well theater is not it so if I don't even want to prioritize or no excuse me acting is not it so if I don't even want to prioritize acting in school no way I'm going to do this as a career especially Mm -hmm. given how difficult of a of a career it is um so yeah I think I, I realized in the middle of college that acting wasn't going to be the thing but I thought that I had um you know other skill sets in the theater that would be applicable to, to different paths. And I think the ones that I'm really narrowing in on right now are, are producing and writing, um, not necessarily playwriting, but as you said, like writing criticism. Um, and I think I came to those things, the, the producing side, I'm someone who loves to make art happen. Um, it's something that's pa- I'm passionate about like in our theater department and like I wasn't always in the shows, but I was always like involved in some way in things going Mm -hmm. on at the department. Um, And I also always had something to say about what was going on in the department. So I think um, my, my my interests I really realized were um, helping like be a part of creative processes, but you know, not in a performative role. And then also continuing to push the conversation forward about how we can do better as an industry um, and how we can, you know, continue to create art that, you know, incites wonder, inspires people to just be better. Yeah, for sure. Kahari also was always the best, like, just audience member in general for a lot of the shows. <laughs> always front row, always, like, the first on his feet. Oh, it's, it's just great. Um, oh, I'm definitely a theater enthusiast. Honestly, that <laughs> should have been what I really put in my bio because that's, like, my main thing. I'm just... <laughs> in love with theater like if we were on a zoom right now you would see all the playbills 
um, across my room, like plays, musicals, Broadway, <laughs> off Broadway, off off Broadway. Emily the Wolves is up in my room from Melbourne. <gasps> oh my gosh! <laughs> I loved that show. Um, so yeah, definitely am a proud theater enthusiast, and that's also something that I kind of want to bring other people into the fold in because I'm also really passionate about like TV and film and music, mm-hmm. which feel you know more accessible to the masses. I have a lot of friends who like aren't in the arts who I can easily talk to about a movie, but I want to be able to talk to my friends who aren't in the arts about like theater. Like I, I want to get people, especially people our age, um, young people and young people of color interested in, in this form that I feel like we haven't really been invited to. And um, I, I don't want to say theater is a dying form, but it's definitely like getting dry in terms of its uh, appeal to, to new audiences and to young people. So mm-hmm. um, big theater enthusiast and hope to, <laughs> in my life, kind of spread that among my communities. Mm, I love that. I also think it's a really nice sort of critique on yourself to be able to recognize that if performing that which may be like the first sort of into theater that many people have isn't necessarily the path that you want to go down or see yourself going down then to sort of find different um doorways to to put yourself through to still be involved in the theater industry. Um just, just you Thank know, you. through as you said, writing, and I, I think that's something very valuable that not many people talk about. You know, it's kind of acting or nothing when there are so many other roles available. Totally, yeah, I think it's important, and honestly, it's tricky for me because I don't even necessarily, um, I, I haven't disidentified with being a performer because I do sing and I and I am a performer, and that is something I'm passionate about. It was more so just the acting piece itself. Like, I, I'm not gonna go. I don't know, I did like Shakespeare and Stoppard in college and that's not my path. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was, it definitely, you know, feels weird when you've been doing something for so long and it's been such a big part of your identity. Um, so kind of like, you know, this disowning that does, uh, it is a, a, a difficult thing to do, um, but definitely one that I think, you know, it's a decision I'm better for having making. Mm-hmm. During your time at mid uh, sort of towards the the later years, you focused a lot on the work of Brendan Jacob Jenkins. Um, so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what initially drew you to his plays and his works, and do you have one of his uh, shows that especially really like excites and intrigues you? Yeah. So um, in school, I realized pretty early that the curriculum was um, just like not as good as it could have been. There were a lot of um, white playwrights that we were reading, a lot of old playwrights we were reading. And I was just um, being kind of the person who's really interested in what's going on in theater right now and kind of always being in the know. I was like, what about all of these artists who are currently working right now, all these black artists who are, you know, putting new forms on stage really, pushing what theater can be. Um, So I did an independent study in my junior year just on like all contemporary black playwrights I could find. Um, And then in my senior year, I did a thesis on um, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins because he was kind of the one who emerged as just really fascinating to me. There were plenty of people I could have wrote about, but um, I ended up focusing on on him. And I think he's really, I just think he's smart and, and nerdy. And I love how he, his plays are, you can tell there's a lot of like scholarship in there. Um, and my, my, my favorite thing about his plays is that he really is able to kind of dis, 
dismantled the conceptions we have of what a, pla- a black playwright needs to be. Um, so to answer your mm-hmm. question of what my favorite work is, I think it has to be in Octoroon, um, mm-hmm. which is a play that it's a kind of a re- a new take on um, a classic melodrama. And what he does in the beginning of the play is he's the, the actor that is speaking the lines, his name is Brandon Jacobs Jenkins. So we like kind of put it himself into the play. Uh, and the, the character is dealing with, um, he's grappling with what it means to be a black playwright. He's like, does this mean that I need to write plays about black people and speak for mm-hmm. the culture? Does this mean that I need to like completely disavow my culture so that I can, you know, do something different and that I can remain in the mainstream by like writing about white people. Um, and it was just a really deep and rigorous exploration of kind of the history of black playwriting and the history of, you know, theater as a whole and how black people have always been a part of it. Um, even though we're not always, you know, centered. Um, and yeah, I could go on and on. I just think he, he, he does a lot of disruptive things in the theater and, and that's what I'm interested in right now. What are the ways that we can disrupt what we think theater is and how can we keep recreating it play after play? Um, and that's what's going to keep people engaged because, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you when you walk into that dark space. For sure. For sure. Now, I was wondering if you could also talk a little bit about Talk Back, um, this really cool theater po- podcast that you co-host. Yeah, so my best friend from high school, Rishi Mutalik, uh, he's an actor and artist um, based out of New York City. And he, we both grew up in the New York, the New Haven area in Connecticut and connected really immediately because of our um, abnormal obsession with, with <laughs> theater. And we've just stayed like best friends since. And we were thinking, you know, I, I was graduating college and he was, um, you know, in his first year after being um, out of school. And we were like, we kind of want to have something just to, to track our creative journeys. You know, we're going to have a really long life in the theater, hopefully. And um, hopefully we'll be n- doing many things together and be by each other's side every step of the way. But uh, we thought it would just be fun to kind of have a project that um, was able to put out our ideas about what's going on in the theater. Um, it's not, I think that's just a really special thing to be able to have a podcast that you can track over time and see this is where, you know, like one year I was really thinking a lot about Broadway. and This year, like, I'm not thinking about Broadway at all. I'm really much into off-Broadway work. Um, so I think like personally, it was just a project that the two of us wanted to have for ourselves. Um, and then additionally, you know, I think being me being a black man, him being an Indian man, uh, there aren't many uh, podcasts in the theater um, that, you know, are from our unique perspectives. So um, I think that's really important to us is continuing to, um, you know, think about theater from our unique uh, positions, being black and Indian, and make sure that we are continuing up continually uplifting uh, people of color, but particularly Black and and Indian artists in the theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was a really big priority of ours as well. And um, I'd say lastly, like just continuing to to reimagine what theater could be. Um, So we're actually about to release, um, to come up, come out with our debut episode for our second season. Um, Yes. Yes. Next week. Yes. Very exciting. And um, 
you know, theater is, is dark right now. There's nothing really happening. So it's not like we're going to have an, an episode on a new show every week, like critiquing what we thought of the show. So um, really our focus is, you know, what are, um, like, what do futures look like in the theater and how can we continue to, to build a community and uh, a forum that's, that's really special and that is, um, you know, central um, in our national zeitgeist you know i was speaking before about how i can talk to any friend about a movie but not necessarily about theater but that's mm-hmm. just the, the the podcast is a way for me to kind of be in conversation with at least my community of of friends and um just people in my life to make sure that they know like you know we can talk about the election one week and have theater be a part of that conversation we can mm-hmm. talk about the pandemic and, and how it's affecting uh, the lives of so many people and, and the theater can like be a way, a, a lens through thinking about the pandemic. So, um, you know, continuing to, to center theater in the in cultural conversations is also a really big kind of goal we have for the project. That's mm-hmm. great. That's interesting. I, I love that. I love that mm-hmm. there's a, it's not just um, like your viewpoint isn't just like uh only topics that are like centered around one thing can be viewed in one way. Like it, it can be viewed in multiple lenses through and theater can be a way to like view so many things in so many different ways too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's um, a lot of theater podcasts out there and right now, you know, in terms of how I, how I brand our podcast, I'm, I'm passionate about saying like, this is a theater and a culture podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. we're not just talking about like, this isn't just a podcast for the, the in community of, of New York theater makers and theater goers. This is really a podcast that I think anyone can engage with. Um, because, you know, we're going to be talking about the world. We're going to be talking about movies and shows and, and music and all different aspects of culture. Um, but, you know, theater is always going to be the thing that grounds us, which is just unavoidable with Rishi and I, because we are like just obsessed. So we're going to talk about it. Um, and hopefully that, you know, inspires our listeners to to continue to learn more about what's going on in theater. And hopefully when when uh, theater comes back, well, I can get some more of my friends to actually attend the theater um, to reach this kind of lifelong mission I have to just get my people interested in, in this forum that I'm so deeply in love with. For sure. And through Talkback and like seeing shows to talk about on the podcast or just other shows, uh, do you have any, you know, favorite um, or momentous like Broadway show or just theater in general memories um, from oh, shows that you've God. attended or, or anything that's really rocked you that you've or you've discovered? There's so much to synthesize in my mind in order mm-hmm. to answer that question because I've seen like, honestly, I've probably been to the theater in like at some form, whether it be like school, community, regional, like New York, like I've probably seen like a hundred shows in my life. It's crazy. Um, and I'm so, so grateful for that. In terms of the 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 most momentous or the, the pieces that are most important to me, I'd say one, like the work of Stephen Sondheim, holistically fell in love with in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I think like Sunday in the Park with George specifically really rocked my world uh, as like a sophomore in high school and kind of took my, my, my interest in theater to the next level. Um, recently... 
there have been so many great shows that I've had the opportunity to see. So I'll just list a few that really captured me um, kind of like pre-pandemic. So I saw Hades Town, and oh, yes. that was kind of like the last musical I saw that I felt was like truly major and was really doing something I had I had never seen before um to the point of like you know me being passionate about like creating new visions for not just what the theater could be but what the world can be I think that's a show that did that really beautifully mm-hmm. um newly on Amazon Prime what the constitution means to me one of my favorite shows from a couple years ago uh by Heidi Schreck um just really Oh, I sat front row for that show, I remember, with Rishi, actually, and I was just overwhelmed with emotion because she um, just created something so personal, but so obviously, like, like literally political, um, and I thought it was just really moving um, and, frankly, like, inspiring, like, inspired me to, to action and to actually, like, um, do more, like... Um, to get more involved in like electoral politics, which honestly I hadn't been doing before. Um, slave play recently. God, mm. I think that mm-hmm. was, I know that show has a lot of discourse around it. Um, but for me, I went to the blackout performance. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a, a performance of the show where um, the, you know, the playwright Jeremy O'Harris went and invited um, like mostly black people to see the show and it was a you know a broadway house full with black people and i've never experienced that in my life i've never experienced any theater experience just with just with you know my people and it was just lit and i and i actually saw that show twice and the first time i saw it um it was with like some friends from work and you know it was a regular performance and i loved the play and had a really good time but you know like the typical theater crowd it's like stuffy old white um and which makes for kind of a a not ideal experience for me um and this show um or this evening was like all black young people and I cannot tell you how much fun it was like honestly I bet the show was like five minutes longer just because there were so many like long extended laughs it was amazing so I'd say that that's the last show I'll mention. But truly, like, I could go on and on. Even just looking around my room and the playbills I have up, I am so grateful. Mm-hmm. For sure. Ah, oh, such good shows. Ah, oh, pre, pre-pandemic viewing. <laughs> that was, um, those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned a little bit before um, – your passion for bringing people to the theater and making it just more accessible for your, you know, not, not typical, as we say, theater goers. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you became involved uh, working with theater for a new audience and what you've sort of done with them. Obviously, there aren't any, you know, in-person, in-theater live shows pro- tickets for right now. Um, but yeah, just sort of your work with them and, and what's come about with that. Yeah, um, so I heard about, the, I already knew about Theater for a New Audience. It's a really great uh, theater downtown that focuses on, um, the, the, the focus of the theater is really bringing together old traditions in the theater. So like, namely Shakespeare, they do a lot of Shakespeare work and new audiences for the theater. So primarily young people who have not been invited into uh, the theatrical tradition. And then also um, more recently, 
black and brown, you know, BIPOC, BIPOC um, people in the New York City area. So I became involved just because my friend like sent me the link to apply to this program called the New Deal Program, uh, which is a program that sells $20 tickets to their shows uh, to ind- all individuals under the age of 30, full-time students of any age as well. Um, so, you know, when you go to see a theater performance, it's mostly people above the age of 30. So I thought this was a really cool opportunity to um, really just get involved in something that I'm passionate about in getting just people in my generation to the theater. And it was a really great experience. So I got to work on four different shows there. Um, I did Why by Peter Brook, Fefu and Her Friends by um, Maria Irene Fornes. Um, and then two other shows that are just escaping my mind right now. But uh, it was it was a really great experience because I was able to, um, one, get the word out to my direct community. So, you know, posting on social media, getting my actual friends to show up to, to the theater, but then also did like a lot of random projects on um, Twitter and just like did some like direct, like handing out flyers in the community in Jersey city that I'm in and was able to get people to, to show up to the shows who were one in my direct community, which I'm really passionate about, but two, just like random people that like I found in the interweb or that I found, uh, on the streets. And uh, I, I just think it's a really good model for, for how we can continue to do the work of transforming our audiences, um, in New York, because, you know, we've all experienced going to the theater and being, um, you know, the the only young person there, the only black person there, the only Asian person there. And it's it's not a good experience. Um, and frankly, it's not good for the longevity of our form. You know, soon it's going to be the the young people who are the old guard. So we really need to make sure that we're, we're capitalizing on all audiences that could be engaging with this work. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Fefu and her friends specifically was amazing because, um, you know, it's Maria Irene Fornes. I think uh, it's a it's a play that theater people are especially passionate about. So we really worked hard on the project to make sure that we were getting the word out. And the, sh- the night I went to see the show, I, it was like majority young people. It, I'd say wow. that right after my experience at Blackout uh, for Slave Play, um, me seeing Fefu and her friends at Theater for a New Audience was probably the, the, the coolest experience I've had in the theater in terms of the audience, at least in New York. Um, and the audience was like really diverse in, in a real way. Um, and it came to like this really grassroots effort of just like a group of 10 people who are a part of this program, um, really just getting the word out to their communities. Um, so it was really special, and I hope it's something that will continue post-pandemic because I was still working with them before um, they went dark. So would love to be involved if that could start it again whenever Tafana um, gets back to, to producing shows. For sure, for sure. Uh, going back to talk back a little, um, your slogan is let's add some color to the great white way, which I absolutely love. And sort of thinking about your involvement both you know, bringing your community into the theater and making it more of an inclusive and, and welcoming space. Um, what do you think or what do you hope are some steps that people um, take moving forward um, post, um, uh, you know, post pandemic uh, to help to help do this to the theater, to make it uh, a space that more, you know, accurately reflects the diversity of our world? Um, and, and sort of the young people that want to become involved? 
And, you know, God. Any, any thoughts on that? It's a big question. I know. Big question. Well, first of all, like I think that's work that can and needs to happen right now while theaters are dark, especially, you know, in like these um, Lort institutions across the country um, mm-hmm. that uh, are, you know, the majority of the th- of our national theater scene, to be honest. Like, yes, there's Broadway, um, but, but most theaters are, you know, regional or off-Broadway theaters. And I think there's just a lot of structural work that needs to be done. Most of these places, the actual staff and leadership of the orgs um, are white, male, old, um, especially from a leadership perspective. I also think like tenure is a big issue. Um, And like there are people who have been in these seats for far too long. Um, So I'm excited about, you know, institutions that have been hiring, um, you know, like young women of color as their managing directors, as their artistic directors, because we really need uh, people from these communities to, to be leading the charge in this effort. We can't just have a bunch of like white theater institutions, like say Black Lives Matter and expect anything to change. Like we really need right. to be centering mm-hmm. the, the, the voices of the, the communities that we're trying to impact. So that's first and foremost, like let's have people retire and, um, put some new voices into these seats. Um, and then I also think in terms of like what work we produce, we need to kind of rethink that. So um, I'd love to see like one half of the the shows that get produced in New York, at least in my theater community, I'd love to see half of them be by artists of color, like period. That would be like my next dream in terms of what I'm seeing on stage. Um, And, you know, like, I think there are so many different um, kind of pieces here that um, the We See You White American Theater movement has kind of really well outlined. So, uh, you know, they, it's a group of BIPOC artists that put together a list of demands for this entity, the White American Theater, um, whoever that may be. But mainly, you know, like most theater institutions and then also these like stuffy Broadway houses um, that have like so much power and what gets greenlit to go to Broadway. Um, and they've outlined a lot of really compelling things across various different elements of the theater. So from like making sure people are being compensated, uh, um, you know, appropriately to making sure that 50% of like directors and choreographers on Broadway are people of color, uh, to, um, like it goes on and on. So, you know, I don't even think that I'm like the best equipped to talk about like what my my kind of dreams are for the theater because I think it's work that we need to do collectively and that's what's so excited about that document that they released because um, it's not just like one person's perspective on an issue it's a whole groups you know like they were accounting for actors for producers for stage managers for choreographers and there were so many different voices a part of that process of building out that document and. Um, so I'm just really excited to see what happens. You know, I think the, the theater institutions feel the pressure, uh, which is, you know, step one. So I, I really do think there's a movement taking place in the theater that, of course, is taking place nationally in every industry. But um, I'm excited about it and, and definitely just want to be want to be a part of it. Um, and the last thing I'd mention is that uh, Jeremy O'Harris who wrote Slave Play, as I was saying before, he released a really compelling case. Um, it was in a letter that he um, addressed to 
Biden and Harris. So obviously, like, it's unlikely that they'll actually see it. But the theater community um, is really listening to it. And mm-hmm. in it, he calls for uh, the kind of the, the reinstatement of the Federal Theater Project. Um, so, you know, the Federal Theater Project was a... Um, a part of the New Deal when FDR was uh, president of the country, and it gave so many arts workers work, um, theater makers specifically, um, because theater was being nationally funded. Um, and honestly, I think national funding for the theater would solve so many of the issues that we have. Um, but because there's no real money behind the things we want to do, um, we have to, like, what gets prioritized is the work that has the funding already so you know like broadway theater owners who like have the power who are like 90 percent white and male or um like all these theater institutions that are also mostly white and male like they're the ones who get to decide what gets produced and, and what is made visible but how exciting would it be if like anyone who wanted to make theater just had the funding so a bunch of like independent like south asian theater makers could just band together create a company and like already know it's going to be funded by the government so that's of course that's my dream for the theater um and my dream for a lot of other things but yeah just government support and like socialized um shared resources i think would really change the game yeah totally oh totally it's it's such an exciting time to sort of see the work that everyone is doing um and sort of what uh what stems off that and what you know, has that snowball effect into into creating more change and creating more opportunities um, for people who just haven't haven't had those doors readily available to them. So yeah, very yeah. Exciting. It reminds me of of um, oh my goodness, what's her name? Rachel Chafkin's um, Tony Award acceptance speech. Yes, for direction for Hades Town, where she's like like the issues of our industry right now is a lack of imagination from uh, an industry whose job is to practice vision, to practice imagination, to imagine the way the world can be. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think now is such a great time to practice that, to practice vision, to practice dreaming um, for what we, for what things could be Um, because God, like it doesn't need to be this way. Like it doesn't need to like be that so many theater workers don't have insurance right now because we're in a pandemic and they have no support. Like it doesn't need to be that like all these people are coming out talking about their experiences with racism in the industry. Like (laughs) we could have something better. Um, So I think we need to dream for it now so that we can, we can fight for it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Rachel Trafkin's speech was one of the most incredible ones that I've, I've seen that also that I, once I started like really watching the Tonys a few years ago, and, and tuning in every year that oh that speech just just left me like in tears it was it was beautiful and she said so many um just great just just incredible things that really I hope I hope a lot of people listen to um you know she said something about like it's not like a pipeline issue it's it's the failure of imagination which which you just kind of kind of got to and yeah oh it's a big it's a big time that we're at right now for sure totally and my last question I have for you today um, because our podcast, Young, Trappy, and Hungry, is a podcast for young artists, by young artists, just trying to figure all of this out when nobody knows what's going on, uh, do you have any sort of advice for other young artists um, and students of color trying to become involved in this wacky industry in any capacity, whether it's in the theater, watching from the audience, or just getting their start in the realm of of our 
our art that we we hate and love all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, this is advice to myself as well, because I too am, you know, uh, a mm-hmm. very, very new to this industry from a professional perspective. But um, what I've been trying to cultivate in myself is just a personal creative practice that is completely separate from um, any like, you know, from someone else putting my work on, you know? So I think uh, in this time where one, it's like impossible to get like real substantial work. Um, and also if you're just a new artist who's like not knowing what to do, I think the best thing you can do is just create things by on your own. Um, and even if it's not like creating big projects, it's just like, for me, like singing is really important to me. And I'm not like in a group right now where I'm not performing for people very often. But I've just been like, okay, I'm just going to sing for an hour a day. And therefore, I am a singer. Um, And I feel like that is the most important thing that I I think I lost touch of at one point in my um, in my journey. Um, I was just like trying to, to get noticed and trying to get like more fancy official work instead of actually focusing on you know, developing my own craft so that when the work does come, frankly, I'm ready for it. Uh, because I think it's better to, to not be working, but to still be growing and then get something and, and be able to kill it than to, to get an offer for a cool project that you then really don't know how to manage it because you just don't have, you haven't really gotten, you haven't cultivated your practice as an artist. So, um, that's where I'm at. I'm just like, all right, how can I do things every day that, that push me forward? Uh, so I'd recommend that to, to anyone listening um, in that, like, you don't need to book a Broadway show to be an actor. You can just, like, work on things yourself with friends, and then you are an actor. Um, so just focus on the work and focus on, like, continuing to grow and, like, doing things that are fun and, and, and that you naturally gravitate to. And I'm, and I'm sure we'll be able to make this crazy career work for ourselves um and then i'd say also just make sure that you that you get your needs met um because it's hard to you know um like you probably are going to need to like find other work maybe not in the arts to sustain you if um if you know you're not able to pay rent so um that's really important to me as someone who's like graduating from college with loans like i know that something that I need to do right now in my young life is make sure that I get on my feet. Um, so whatever that means for, you know, the, the, the listeners, it's definitely a person by person case, but I'd say do what you do and have fun with it. Um, and make sure that you're keeping yourself, you know, healthy and safe along the way. I think that's such a, an interesting point. Like, um, you were saying about that your first piece of advice, like, yeah, obviously right now, um, especially for people who have like just graduated or just about to graduate, like they're going into this like workforce um, with like basically um, not a huge chance that they'll book anything, especially like, obviously we're talking about uh, people in theater. Um, And so I think it's such an interesting point to say, don't like get bogged down by that and still like cultivate your craft. Um, Like, by doing just doing something and don't like just be stagnant and um halt your growth totally yeah like there are things you can do on your own or like that aren't even necessarily considered like theater so for example i'm 
I call myself a producer. Have I produced a show in New York yet? Like, no. But I, I, I that's something that I want to do. And I am just manifesting that, like, I am mm-hmm. going to produce shows in, in New York at some point in my life. Hopefully, you know, soon when things get back to normal. It's a goal that I have in the short term. But um, in my full-time job right now, like I'm a diversity recruiter um, at a big financial institution. And um, a big part of my job is producing like really large scale events to get diverse candidates into the door at the firm um, and to kind of just like generally um, inspire them to, to that, like, you know, this place that this firm is a company that they should um, you know, feel excited to work for. Um, so a lot of what I do is like producing really fun events for, for college students. And no, it's not the same as like producing a play, but I'm cultivating a lot of the same skills that I'll need to be a producer. So like, I'm, I know how to manage a budget. I know how to work with various different, um, kind of like entities and groups to, to put on a big event. Um, you know, I think there's a lot that's transferable from event management to like theatrical event management. So, um, I think, you know, any type of thing that you can do that is going to cultivate your skills, um, you should kind of have a growth mindset with it and view it as something that's conducive to your to your work. Ultimately, um, you know, I think for me, it was the same thing when I was going into college. Back when I did want to be an actor, I was like, ooh, should I do the conservatory thing? Or should I just, you know, continue to grow holistically as a person at a liberal arts college? And for me, I chose the latter one because I knew I wasn't convinced at the time that I wanted to be an actor. Um, and thank God I went to a liberal arts college. But um, also I was like, even if I do want to be an actor, I can totally go to Middlebury College and still be an actor. Like I'm going to continue to grow as a person. I'm going to, you know, act every semester in a show. I'm going to take classes. I'm going to grow my voice. Like I'm going to do all the things I need to do to make it happen for myself. Um, and I think we get bogged down by these like weird structural assumptions of like what your path needs to be. Um, But listen, like, I don't know, I've realized that I can be a singer just by singing every day. And maybe one day, like a lot of people will hear my voice and that'll be super exciting. Um, But for now, like I'm having a really good time singing in my bathroom for an hour a day. Um, And I hope that, you know, and that's what I try to inspire in my friends who are also artists. I'm like, let's just like keep doing what we do because it's fun. And, you know, the work will will follow if we're if we're ready for it. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Um, That's all the time we have today. And you hear it here, folks. Um, Kahari Blue, everyone. Yes. Thank you for having me on. This is an awesome podcast. And I'm super proud of you, Em. And really nice meeting the group. And I'm excited to keep listening. Thank you so much. That will do it for this special bonus episode of Young, Scrappy, and Hungry. Thank you all so much for tuning in and stay tuned for our last few episodes about to roll out soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise.